Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Agape by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, as we come around your word, we continue in worship. We pray that spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears would be opened. Holy Spirit, may our hearts be ready for you to speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, just in case, uh, I'll lay out the disclaimer before we go any further. Me and Terry didn't speak before this morning service, but there's obviously a thread that's running through the service this morning. This morning, I want to speak about uh, the most powerful evangelistic tool we have. This morning I want to talk about, uh, we talk about wanting to transform and save the world, right? Jesus came to save the world and he did so by, by loving us. And today, uh, we're going to look at how we can not only change our own lives radically, but change church and to change the world around us. Uh, many people will know that uh, one of the many jobs I had when I was in Tasmania, and someone's left the gates open to Tasmania again. Welcome, Brother Earl. Uh, I wasn't sure who the young lady was that you had with you, but welcome, Cheryl. It's been a long time. Uh, but uh, when I was in Tasmania, I used to drive taxis. And uh, I remember one Saturday night, Sunday morning, I was about to knock off work, and a call came over the radio, car 931 in trouble. Can somebody assist? By the time I got there, there was like two other cabbies there and I pulled up and here's a car parked on the side of the road with the bonnet up and three rocket scientists all looking at the engine, right? I can guarantee you by the time this story ends, NASA wasn't giving them a call. However, uh, I pulled up and I asked, what's the problem? And the driver said, you know what? I don't know what's wrong. He says, but I was driving along, everything was fine and the car just stopped. And I said, okay. I said, well, we checked all the, the, the bonnet was up, so we checked the oil, checked the water. And I said, well, you know, just get in and turn the key. So he got in, turned the key. Everything was cranking over fine. And I said, give us a look for a second. So I turned the key <laughs> and the fuel gauge, of course, was empty. <laughs> Hence the fact that NASA's not going to give him a call, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to the moon unless you fill the tank up first, right? But they're out of fuel. Sitting in limbo land, uh, everything else was fine, the oil was fine, the water was fine, and uh, today I want to ask you, how is your loveometer? Because what drives the church is love. Yes. And for so often we sit around talking and discussing what's wrong with the church, where's the power in the church, why do we seemingly appear to be so ineffective? It's because there's no fuel in the tank, right? Uh-huh. You see, you can have all the faith, we're going we're gonna to come to that wonderful, wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians later on, but you can have all the faith. Just like that taxi driver found out that morning, you can have an oil, you can have an engine full of oil and water, but if you haven't got any fuel, you're not going anywhere. And today, uh, I want to lay out a challenge in two directions. How's your love concerning God, number one? And how's your love concerning everybody else? Uh, my mother-in-law's here from Tasmania, and uh, I've told uh, all, all of the sister-in-laws as they were meeting boyfriends, I said, look, I'm the favourite, give up. Uh, they already know, they already know, but, so I'll get away with this, but you see, every one of us, when we look at the fuel gauge, and as the needle reaches the E, we take that as a warning. My mother-in-law accepts it as a challenge. 
<laughs> How many times have you rolled into the service station just as you ran out of fuel? Only the Lord knows. <laughs> but this morning, uh, I want to ask us the question, first of all, how full is our love tank? And second of all, have you noticed that when you pull into the fuel station nowadays, you can get 91 unleaded, 95 unleaded or 98? What octane are you running on? I believe God would call us into a deeper love today. I'm not saying that we don't love God today. I believe everybody in this room has a love and affections for God. But I want to perhaps deepen that. Maybe God's drawing us into a deeper love. Uh, You could set the world on fire by just loving God. We confuse stuff. We overcomplicate stuff. Jesus made it quite easy. A, A lawyer came to Jesus and says, listen, how do you sum up the law? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? And he says, well... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says, you have done well. We get lost in rules and regulations. We get lost in doctrine and theology. And we're setting up programs and running events. When God's called us to love, there's a power in love. So I want to challenge today. We're going to start off in John chapter 21, if you've you've got your Bibles. And uh, Jesus challenged a certain disciple about his level of love. But we need a little bit of context before we get there. Spare a thought for the disciples as you're reading, particularly the last chapters of all the Gospels, because everything, for those that read the pastor's comments this morning, everything for these guys hasn't gone how they expected or how they imagined. Uh, The whole time that Jesus was on earth uh, and he was talking about setting up a kingdom and he was talking about the fact that he was a king and he was talking about this new kingdom and how they had in their mind that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. So spare a thought for a moment for the disciples because when Jesus died on the cross, this looked like a massive defeat and they didn't understand anything. Then the resurrection, three days later, And the penny drops, right? And everything Jesus has told them and everything they've learnt, they're now looking at through a different lens and they're going, oh, oh, I see. And they're kind of in a limbo land right now because Jesus has been raised from the dead and they don't know what the new kingdom looks like. Jesus has made all these promises. He's made all these proclamations about the new kingdom coming in power. All these things. They don't know what that looks like. Anybody ever felt like they're in limbo land? Anybody ever felt like you're in God's waiting room? <laughs> where, where you're saying, God, I'm ready. And God says, hang on a second. You ever felt like you're looking back on your life and you're going, all this stuff that's happened can't be for no reason. There must be a reason behind it, but I'm confused and and I I don't know what's next. Well, Jesus helps us because he helps Peter. Let's start reading at the start of chapter 21. I'll read through, I'm just going to work through this chapter very quickly, but I believe the Lord has a message for us. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, (coughs) and two of the other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now we know he's holy, right? (laughs) (coughs) Just, uh, Just to digress for a moment, if ever you ring the office and say, can I speak to Pastor Sean? And the ladies say, no, he's gone fishing. I have biblical... Jesus, Peter didn't say, I'm going to play 18 holes. Simon Peter said to him, said to them, I wonder if we're too, I wonder if 
Peter, you know, we beat Peter up a little bit, but I wonder if there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. You see, what Peter's actually doing here, he's confused. He says, you know what, I'm sick of waiting. I'm going to fall back on what I know. I wonder whether, you know, churches are filled with people that want to change the world, but I wonder whether, instead of doing things God's way, we've decided, you know what, we're going to go back to what we know. We're going to throw more events and try and get more people crammed into the rooms. We're going, to, we're going to institute more programs. We're going to rework our theology and doctrine. When God's called us just to love him, number one, and to love each other. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Why? Because it's safe, right? I know fishing. Turns out he doesn't. Let's read on. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. This is like going fishing with my boys. In a moment, we're going to see what it's like when you go fishing with me. 153 fish in a minute. Just hold that thought for a moment. But but they caught nothing. And and it's kind of like, have a listen to what Jesus says now. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? What's Jesus saying? You're going back to what you know. You're doing everything that's safe. You think you've got this all worked out? How's that working out for you? You've been fishing all night, you've been throwing the net, you're doing everything in your strength, you've got all the answers, have you? How's that working out for you? How many fish you got? You see, a bad day's fishing, you, you kind of sneak back to the boat ramp. If you haven't, a good, if you, if you haven't had a good day's fishing, you, you, you wait till everybody's cleared the boat ramp, then you slink in, you're out, because what, you don't want to answer this question. You don't want people going, hey mate, how was your day? Do I lie? Lord, forgive me. We come up with really creative answers. I saw lots of fish. <laughs> These guys didn't even see any fish. I know there's places on the planet today that you can die for proclaiming the name of Jesus. I know that. But one of the most challenging environments, I believe, to take the gospel and to impact with the gospel is Western society. Because we live amongst a society. You go outside these doors, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. It wasn't so long ago that Shane Warne passed away and Shane Warne was joining the big cricket team up in the sky. I'm not so sure. Maybe, I don't know. But we all have this persona that everybody goes to heaven. But it's not biblical. I am going fishing, they said, and we will go with you, but they caught nothing. Jesus says, children, do you have any fish? Jesus always knows what question to ask, right? Never looking for information, but he always knows the right question. Like after the fall, right? God says to Adam, where are you? It's not like he lost him for a second. Hang on a second, where did I put that? Where did I put that dude? Did I shove him, in? Did I shove him down in Tasmania? No, he's not down there. No. But, but the reason is he wanted Adam to know where he was. Where are you, Adam? I was hiding. Why were you hiding? Because something's changed. Something's not the same anymore. Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. But have a look what happens. Uh, they've, they've fished all night. They've caught nothing. They've thrown their nets. They think they've got it all worked out. We'll just go back to fishing. We'll go back to what we know. But hang on a second. Uh, have a look what happens when Jesus just gives them one word. Uh, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. How, how many of us sitting in the boat would have gone, I've done both sides do. It's like, you know, I, I've fished this whole lake. Uh, he says, cast the net on the right side. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quality of fish. One word from Jesus. What's Jesus saying? Perhaps if you do it my way, hmm. the disciple, 
what happens next is really important for the conversation that happens between Jesus and Peter. Because we've got to work through some questions that Jesus asked Peter. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Everyone's like, hang on a second, is he sitting in his birthday suit? Yes, he is. (coughs) But no one's singing happy birthday. Uh, He puts on his outer garment. Uh, People worked in the nude in these days. And uh, it's not for today, but you have to put your garments on before you come to church. Before he was stripped for work. But have a look at his reaction. He abandons the boat. He forgets about everything else. Nothing else is important right now for Peter. Puts on his outer garment for you, stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. He's not even waiting for the boat to pull up. The other disciples came in the boat. This is really important for what happens next. They're dragging all of the disciples. Please note this. All of the disciples, all of these blokes are dragging the net. Have a look at what happens when Peter encounters Christ. Verse 9, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. These guys had missed it. You see, they're out in the boat, throwing the net left, right and centre, and Jesus wants to have breakfast. Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire for them. Jesus wants to have fellowship and intimacy with them. That's what you did in the first century. If you wanted to, in ancient times, if, uh, the greatest sign of fellowship was to, to eat a meal with somebody. Jesus, Jesus already got the bread and the fish. Friends, this morning, can we get out of the boat and can we come to the charcoal fire? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I'm in limbo land and I don't know what to do next. Find the charcoal fire, friends. They found a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Now have a look at what Peter does. Just remember that all the disciples were dragging the net. But Peter, this is like when I go fishing, for those that are wondering. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them on his own. When I read that, I stopped for a moment and I said, you know what, Lord? I need that kind of supernatural strength. Peter's out fishing. These guys can't drag it in in their own strength, but one encounter with Christ, one moment with Christ on the beach, and he goes in and pulls it in, 153 fish. And this is what else I love. Uh, Often in uh, church circles you might hear, well, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we need a first comers program, we need an evangelistic program, we need a team for this and a team for that. But 153 fish, the net should have fallen apart. But here's what I love about God. We always wonder, you know, will everything hold? But the net held. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. I think, the no, I think we've missed it. I think as believers we've missed it. I think we get wrapped up in faith and doctrine and theology and whose name's on the door and who's, who's on this morning and where's my place and where's my platform when Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Yes. Yes. Number one, I'm going to save myself hours of pastoral counselling right now. Thank you, you're welcome. I'm, I'm being serious. I, there are people, I spend a lot of time in my office with people that say, I wonder what's next for me. 
I've been coming to the church for a long time. Uh, I, I, what's God? What's my place? What's my calling? Where's God got me? Oh, I'm ready, God. What are you doing next? And here's what I'll tell you to do because it's what Jesus tells Peter to do. Number one thing to do next, fall in love with Jesus and you watch the doors he opens. Fall in love with Jesus and you watch him build a platform. Fall in love with Jesus is all you have to do. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But what do we do? We get in the boat and run after all of these things. Friends, fall in love with Jesus. There was a moment in my life when I just said, you know what, I don't care about anything else. I'm just going to focus on my relationship with God and you watch what God does. Verse 15, now we come to the conversation, right? When they had finished breakfast, I bet you all the disciples are elbowing each other, going, I wonder when Jesus is going to bring it up. The whole rooster thing, I wonder when Jesus is going to bring that up. He doesn't bring it up. That's what I love about Jesus. (laughs) He never rubs our mess in our face, does he? (laughs) Jesus does not reference the past at all. It's all about what's next, Peter. Stop looking. Yeah, okay, you've made some mistakes, Peter. That's not what's important right now. Jesus is all about restoration. He doesn't address it, but he kind of does. When they finished breakfast, all right, you've had your fill now, Peter. Put the coffee down. Let's have a chat. Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, and that's, that's profound. That's his earthly name. Jesus, after Jesus calls Peter, he never references him as Simon, son of John. It's always Kiefer or Peter, up until now. Why? Peter, you've got a choice to make. Is it Simon, son of John today, or is it Peter? You're at a crossroads. You're at a fork in the road, Peter, and you've got a choice to make. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Back to the fuel station for a moment. When we're talking about love, and we'll unpack this more as we go along, that's 98 octane right there. That's the deepest kind of love. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these what? There's really only three options, and the first two don't make a whole lot of sense. First option is, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than your old life and this fish and these fishing? Doesn't make sense, right? He jumped out of the boat the minute he saw Jesus on the shore. I think that's a no-brainer, right? Hang on a second, rewind three years. He left the boat and the nets to follow Christ in the first place. I don't think that's what Jesus is referencing. Is Jesus saying, do you love me more than you love the disciples? I think that's a no-brainer as well. These guys weren't the greatest of friends all the time. They had their rivalries. Two of them wanted to be on the right and the left-hand side. Remember those conversations? I don't think that's a problem either because when, Jesus, when Peter saw Jesus on the beach, he jumps out, he forgets the disciples. Here's what I'm convinced Jesus is asking Peter. Do you love me more than they love me? Why would he ask that? Because there was a time when Peter said he did. And Peter said, because Jesus said, uh, uh, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. 
And I tell you that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. What does Peter say? Peter says, no, I will never deny you. Even if everybody else falls away, I will never fall away. What's Peter saying? I love you more than they do, Jesus. I would never deny you. I would never run away from you. I would never forsake you. Now what's Jesus saying to Peter? Is your love really as deep as you thought it was? Do you really love me as much as you thought you did? Do you really love me as much as your words? And right now, read the Gospels. Peter loved Jesus. It was Peter that said, when all the other disciples left in chapter 6, it's Peter that said, to whom shall we go? Jesus says, do you want to go as well? Peter says, to whom shall we go? You are the Messiah. You have the words of eternal life. What Jesus is asking of Peter is, it's time for a deeper love, Peter. You see, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, before Pentecost, we're always looking at Pentecost, don't we? In Pentecostal circles, we're always, yeah, we want Pentecost. Before the thousands are saved, Peter, before you find yourself in the house of a Gentile proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles, and that rocked the world, of the, <laughs> the ancient world, that rocked it. Before you find yourself in Cornelius' house, before you find yourself upside down crucified at your request, before you find yourself in jail, I love this, and with the video suit, before you find yourself in prison, clanging on to the bars, yelling to your wife as she's led to her execution, remember the joy of the Lord. Before you reach that point, do you love me enough, Peter? You're going to need some deep love, not some shallow love. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Ah. This is 91 octane. I have a rule in my house, you don't put 91 octane in any of my vehicles. Cost too much at the mechanic. (laughs) Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I'll unpack those in a moment. You know that I have affections for you. He does. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Before we commission you, Peter, the number one thing you need to focus on is your love for me. See, we often get that round the wrong way. I often have conversations that sound like ministry, ministry, ministry. God's told me I'm going to have an international ministry. God actually doesn't tell people that, by the way, just as an FYI. I've had visions of crowds. Well, yeah, maybe, but uh, not look how you think. God says, love me. We'll get to the church part in a moment. But when we're talking about agape and phileo, let's let's keep working our way through this. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. That's a huge message for another day. The feed, the tend, the love, all that sort of stuff is a huge message for another day. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? It's interesting. Used interchangeably. Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time. It's kind of like, hang on, Lord, you know that I love you, but it's obvious that Peter needs to go deeper. You know, as as the sun sets on 2022 and as the sun begins to rise on 2023 and as we move into the Advent season...
I wonder whether there's any greater call than let's make 2023 the year that you agape God. What does that mean? Well, let's have a look at it for a moment. What's the difference between phileo and... uh, The Greek uses predominantly four words concerning love. First one is eros, where we get our word for erotica, and people say, oh, that's the naughty love. No, it's not. God just gave us parameters that are supposed to function inside of. So it's, it's fine, it's a blessing, it's a gift from God, uh, all those sorts of things. But there's the, the, there's the storge, the family kind of love, right? It's familiarity kind of love. Then there is phileo and agape. Agapeo is the verb of agape, but, but phileo, and agape, phileo is a, a friendship, a fondness, a likeness. Agape is a love of choice and preferential love. You see, I thank you for raising that this morning, Terry. But to give you an idea, 49 years ago in January, you agape, you announced your agape for Lynn. Because what you said was, over anybody and everybody else, I preference Lynn. And you've said that every day for the last 49 years, almost, so rocking on to 50. Well done, Lynn. Well done. <laughs> for those who suffer much, we reward them much. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sermon for another day. <laughs> but it's a preferential kind of love. Phileo is a love of pleasure. Agape is a love of preciousness. When you agape Jesus, he's precious to you. Phileo is a love of delight and agape is one where we esteem others or we esteem the object of our love. Phileo seeks pleasurable qualities from. Is God somebody you can extract something from? Is church all about getting? We'll get to that in a moment. Hold on to that before we get to the uh, ramshackled Corinthians. We'll get to them in a moment. But is God, are you looking for what God's got in his pockets? Or do you want God for who he is? Phileo takes pleasure. Agape ascribes value. Phileo is a love of liking. Agape is one of prizing. We we prize Jesus. Peter, it's time for you to stop liking me. Peter, it's time for you to stop dating me. And it's time for you to walk down the aisle, put the ring on the finger and marry me. Because when Jesus says at the end of this, follow me, it is cleave steadfastly to its marriage language. Phileo flows from feelings and emotions. Agape flows from choices and willful decisions. (laughs) God has not called you to like everybody. He has called you to love everybody. And that means you have to make a willful choice to put yourself aside, but you have to do the same with God. You see, agape love is, I'm going to make a decision to set my love and affections on God. The feelings and the emotions catch up later on. For those that have been married for any length of time, how many mornings do you wake up and go, oh, I feel married. It wears off after six months for most of us, right? It's not every day. It doesn't mean you don't love your spouse, but it just means that marriage and agape looks like, despite what I feel like, I love you. When you wake up tomorrow morning, despite what you feel like, Agape looks like, God, I make a willful decision to praise you, to get into your word, 
I make a choice not to offend you. For those that have already beaten me to the punch, if you could meet me in 1 Corinthians 13, we're now going to take this the other direction. Before we go any further, most of us have heard about the Navy SEALs, right? There's many teams in the Navy SEALs, and Navy SEALs are a cut above a normal soldier, right? We know all of that, the, the boot camp stuff and the endless push-ups and, and the falling asleep underwater and the training and all that sort of stuff. But there's SEAL teams, then there's SEAL Team 6. SEAL Team 6 is a cut above all the SEAL teams, you see. They get sent on the really important missions. SEAL Team 6 was sent to take out Osama bin Laden. SEAL Team 6 are a cut above. They're far more effective than all the other teams. And it's not because they can shoot straighter. It's not because they're more heavily trained. It's not because they're fitter or stronger than any of the other Navy SEALs. There's a reason, and I'm going to ask you to suck on that for a moment, and I'll unpack that question and answer that question. What is it that sets them apart? Because it's the same reason that Jesus has built this community here. We'll get to that in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and how many times have we been to weddings and heard these words, right? And it's all about, oh, these are grand words, uh, though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. But that's not how Paul writes this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 is a rebuke, and I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) The Corinthians, God bless them, they didn't just swing from the rafters, they pitched a tent and slept up there. And uh, Paul founded the Corinthian church. He spends 18 months ministering amongst the Corinthians, sowing the word into them and and ministering amongst them. And then after he leaves, he receives some really concerning reports. Uh, Reports about five major areas. And every time he, he answers them through 1 Corinthians, and the really positive thing is that if you read 2 Corinthians, they got it. They got it. They fixed it. But... The problems they had was things like there was divisions in the church where some said, you know, I'm with Paul and others said, well, I'm with Apollos. So Paul responds and says, hang on a second, who do you think we are? Jesus is who you belong to. You don't belong to Paul or Apollos. We're just servants. That's what he says. It goes on and they had some problems with sexual integrity. It sounded a little bit like this. Uh, a bloke was sleeping with his stepmom, but his dad was still alive. And the church not only said that's okay, they said, hey... We're all free in Christ. Paul writes and goes, "Uh uh-uh, not like where you're not. Out with the brother, okay? Then there was problems with food. And the problem with food was these guys were eating food knowingly that it was sacrificed to idols. And what they were doing was putting a stumbling block in the pathway of some of the non-believers because they're looking at this going, well, hang on a second. They're eating the same food as us. They're worshipping the same gods as us. What's going on with these Christians? So Paul says, come on. The gospel says we belong to one. Then there were some problems in the gathering. And chapters 12, 13 and 14 are written to address the problems in the gathering. The problems that had arisen in the gatherings was uh, the whole Corinthian church was having profound Deep spiritual experiences. The Holy Spirit was moving in great power amongst the church. Problem was, they didn't have any foundation. 
And so what it looked like on a Sunday, but I use the word gathering because they didn't just gather on Sundays. They gathered many times, and most churches do, for various reasons, home groups and whatever else. But at the gatherings, we had some people that were yelling out in tongues, but nobody could understand them, so it wasn't any benefit for the church. And, and then somebody somebody would be halfway through tongues, and somebody would yell a prophecy over the top, and, and somebody would get up and say, I had a word. And, and Paul says, no, 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 you're interrupting everybody. You... You come together to be built up. It doesn't go anywhere because there's nothing wrong with the deep spiritual experiences, says Paul, but you need a bit of foundation. And so here's what he says. He says, Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There are Pentecostal churches today that need to hear this. It's... I am not against deep spiritual experiences, but if we don't have a strong foundation of God's word and love, people will get hurt. That's what was happening in Corinth, and that's what's happening many times today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. These are the five ifs. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains... That's what we want, right? No, no, Paul says, no, 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 hang on. But I have not love. I am nothing. Forget about whose name's on the door. Forget about the platforms. Turns out, church ain't about you. If we get this right, if the body of Christ will get this right, You wait and see what the Holy Spirit does. If we lay a foundation of love, you wait and see what the Holy Spirit does. You see, what Paul is saying is, all you guys are having deep spiritual experiences. Don't stop seeking those, but the avenue is love. It's not a coincidence that right after speaking about spiritual gifts in in chapter 12, Paul says the avenue for all of these is love. The agape seeks the best for the person sitting next to you. Hmm, Hang on to that. Anybody want to reach maturity in Christ? Yeah, we all do, right? Have a listen to these words. We're not going to unpack all the love is. That's a sermon for a few months in the future. But deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Verse 8, love never ends. Agape never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Anybody want to reach maturity? Here it is. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What's Paul saying to the Corinthians? You guys want to be mature in Christ? Just speak, speak, speak. It looks like this. It looks like when you turn up to church, it's all about, it's not about how I can get a blessing, it's how can I be a blessing. Uh, See, church isn't about, well, um, I I might come in here and if you can tick my five boxes, I might come back next Sunday. I have to be blessed. I have to get this. That's not what it's about. 
Paul says when you come together and when you're gathered together, it's about building up the person next to you. It's about bringing an encouragement. We should be praying, Lord, show me how I can bless somebody today. How can I smile at somebody? How can I shake somebody's hand? You can add value to somebody today by knowing their name and saying, God bless you. It's not hard. Phileo looks like somebody sat in my seat last week. I'm not coming again, Pastor. And I came here just to be blessed, built up and encouraged, but nothing happened the way... You didn't sing the songs I like. Agape says... Lord bless. Here's what Paul said to the Romans in chapter 1. He says, I long to come to you. Why? So you can see my awesome anointing. So you can see how great a preacher I am. Top 10 Paul, number 1. When it comes to preaching. No. He says, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift so that I can leave you a blessing. See, Paul wasn't worried about whose name's on the door. He wasn't worried about a platform for ministry. He didn't worry about who was preaching that day. He turned up anyway. Agape looks like we seek to be a blessing. Agape flows from a knowledge of how precious the object is. How precious is the person sitting next to you? That's the community Jesus came to found. That's the community that will change its world. We can change the world. We can change Brisbane as the body of Christ. We can do it. If we will love one another, if we will love God with agape kind of love. Back to the SEAL Team 6, right? I don't think my boys are in the room, otherwise I'd embarrass them. (laughs) Here's what I love about my boys. My boys, uh, as different as they are, (laughs) they drive their mother crazy. And for various reasons, I drive her crazy as well, but I'm allowed to because it's in the job description. But, 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 you know, my boys, they get to a certain age and they're constantly fighting, constantly teasing. Every now and again, it comes to fisticuffs out in the backyard. And, and I usually only step in when it gets serious, right? <laughs> it's only like when, they're both, when someone's about to get hurt. Um, if I have to ring an ambulance, I'll step in. Because <laughs> it's inconvenient and I don't want to take him to hospital. However, <laughs> however, they might fight and bicker amongst themselves and they have differences and something. But I can tell you something now. You come against one of my boys, you better be ready to take the three of them. Yeah. Because there's an agape current that, that flows underneath. I like that. You know why? Because they're brothers. I challenge you to read through the New Testament, the epistles of the New Testament, and find out how many times you read the word brothers and sisters. That cha- when the person sitting next to you is your brother or your sister, it changes how you treat them. Families have indifference and bickering and all that sort of stuff, but there's a current of love, right, that flows underneath all of that. SEAL Team 6, they'll tell you what the difference is. I watched the documentary on it. And they said, you know what, uh, all the other guys that are in a team, you know, you learn to trust. In the Navy SEALs, you learn to trust everybody in your team when you're in battle, he says, but when you're in SEAL Team 6, he says, you trust everybody else with your bank card and your wife. And what's he saying? He's saying, I know... They're not just a team member. 
They're my brothers. And they wouldn't do anything to hurt me and I wouldn't do anything to hurt them. There's a current of trust that is far deeper. If I wanted to play team sports, I'd go back and play football. I'd play football on the weekends with 18 other guys that had my back. But at church, I'm here with my brothers and sisters. We're united. We're all children of God, right? And we're all united on the same footing and the same standing. And that is that we all are broken. Turn to the person next to you if you want and say, you're broken. Just don't look this way. Liz, I'm broken. (laughs) 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 Meow. Um, (laughs) It's Christmas. You see... You see, we don't all like cats. But... We need to... We need to cast some things out. We've got a deliverance tank for the media guy. You, you just went straight back to Phileo. This doesn't apply to me this morning, but I want everybody in the church to know your sins will find you out. <laughs> but if I can be serious for a moment, we could transform, we could turn the world upside down if we learned to love one another. Yes. If we learned to set aside petty little indifferences, we're not all, all going to agree theologically. There's going to be variances in some places when it comes to theology. We've all got quirks, we've all got cracks, we've all got weaknesses, we've all got indifferences. Some of us have got hair. Pete, love what you're doing with your hair, bro. But Jesus came to establish a brotherhood, a family, where we're more than friends, we're brothers. When even if you do the wrong thing, we're going to tell you you've done the wrong thing, but we've got your back. Amen. And we're going to support you, and we're going to love you, and we're going to pray for you. That's a brotherhood. Far too long, too many people have been like that taxi driver, all of the potential but parked on the side of the road because the love tank's empty. Too many churches, wonderful churches, well-meaning, but we get focused on everything else when God has just called us to love him and love one another. And so as we move out of this year and into the next year and as we come around Christmas time, next week, if you're here for Christmas, God bless you, but this world has lost its reference point for love. Singers sing about love and if you listen to the radio for too long, you're going to realise these guys have got no idea what love really is. We're going to look at the reference point. God gave us the reference point. God tells you he loves you, but how does he do that? He gave his son. It's an action, right? Let us not love in words, but let us love in actions. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would move every one of us from phileo to agape. Lord, that you would move us to a deeper love with you, I pray.
We love you, Lord, but we want to love you more. We want to want you more. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw us into a deeper love with you, but draw us into a brotherhood, into a community that loves unconditionally like you loved us, that displays the same mercy that you have on us, that, it, that is an avenue for the same grace that you continuously lavish on us. Lord, I pray that you would build that community here. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask this in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.